0: From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast of one of the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry.
1: As an AM tech, I was doing a lot more than just setting up the, the builds and extracting the builds. I was doing a, a significant amount around the project coordination, kind of acting as an extension of the project engineers and being their eyes and ears on the ground and making sure things are going where they're supposed to. The back shop worked pretty autonomously, but I was still responsible for tracking the overall status of those those projects in an effort to, to help with the engineers. So,
0: as Will Cuervo. Will has been in the additive manufacturing industry for five years and is currently the senior business development manager at Three Year Mind. He also serves as the ambassador for the Additive Manufacturing Coalition. At Three Year Mind, he is responsible for the business development strategy for enterprise companies as well as the federal government. Will started his career as an AM technician at Centapia, where he learned the ins and outs of AM operations for aerospace, space, and defense applications. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. All right, well, thank you so much for joining the show today. Um, Excited for this conversation. Um, I like to start really from the beginning with all the guests, like the very beginning. So so where were you born? Kind of what was it like growing up and, and kind of what were some of those early of baby steps towards um, the industry and, and kind of where you are today.
1: Definitely. Well, thank you so much for having me, Mike. I'm definitely looking forward to it. This is actually my first uh, podcast in the AM industry since I've been in the field. So I'm uh, I'm excited to, to ring it in for the first time with you and, and Three Degrees. I love the content you guys put out, but uh, just a little bit about myself. So, um, you know, I definitely have some some close friends in the industry that, that know my story, but I'm really looking forward to to kind of telling my tale a little bit, if you will, for the first time. And it all started, um, I was born and raised in Miami Beach, Florida. Um, grew up spending a lot of time at the beach. Um, you know, for those of you that have seen Lords of Dogtown, kind of like sneaking <sighs> away before school and going surfing and skimboarding and stuff. That was kind of like uh, my childhood, not a traditional childhood by any means. But uh, nonetheless, I was um, born and raised in Miami Beach. I'm I'm a, a Florida boy, a Florida definitely not the Florida man, but, uh, um, I was born, uh, as, uh, essentially a first generation American on my dad's side. So, um, both, uh, both my mom and my dad's side are, are both of Cuban descent. Um, my family lived there for not very long prior to coming to the U S uh, you know, escaping all the, all the craziness of Cuba and communism and such. But, um, you know, I was really privileged to have uh, the opportunity to grow up in a part of the world that's so unique and and filled with uh, representation from so many different folks around the world. And um ever since I was a small, like a small kid, I, I've always been intrigued by uh, things that are loud and fast and go boom. Uh, so naturally, you know, space and, and the space shuttle um, generation was very intriguing to me. Um, naturally on my own, I was always interested in kind of technical, mechanical type things, always getting in trouble with my parents for taking the remote control apart or finding an old appliance that nobody used to, you know, take apart and kind of figure out what everything does. And um, I was always attracted to uh, the military and government and such. So, um, you know, in high school, I, I knew I definitely wanted to pursue something in the public sector relating to, to government service, uh, mostly military service, was at the time what I was really focused on achieving. So, spent four years in JROTC, and this is actually a, an important part of the story because it actually has a lot to do with how I ended up in additive manufacturing. Um, but uh, yeah, I spent four years in JROTC in high school. I swam. Um, so, can also- you uh,
0: explain for those who may not know what so what JROTC stands for? Oh, and yeah,
1: absolutely, of course. So. JROTC is the Junior Reserve Officer Training Corps. Um, it's essentially kind of a junior leadership program that's modeled after the military, but by no means is it kind of grooming kids for the military. It's actually more of just grooming kids for adulthood, exposing them to how, you know, uh, essentially maybe what government service would look like on the side of the military. Um, but, you know, teaching them kind of life skills, how to write a check, uh, basic fundamentals of leadership, Um, you know, self, safe, safe gun handling, you know, far and wide, a lot of different kind of skills that I, I I think are pretty important for for young adults to learn on the, you know, the cusp of becoming real adults. But um, so, yeah, I did an Army JROTC for four years um, and I really loved GROTC. um It gave me the opportunity to give back to my community. To also get some really cool responsibilities at a young age. Um, at 16 years old, I was already responsible for government property, mm-hmm. including uh, electronics and and rifles and such. And I thought it was so cool to be young and have this opportunity to kind of like run a, you know, f- a proxy military unit with my friends in, in high school and have the opportunity to compete, uh, you know, in drill and drill in ceremonies and and physical events and and go to some really cool encampments as well. Um, did training in Camp Landing in Florida, really cool Boy Scout centers and such, and um, and even participated in American Legion Boy State for those uh, those folks that are familiar with that program. So it was a really great opportunity for me to kind of figure out what I really liked, what I was good at. And um, one thing I knew is I I really wanted to pursue, um, you know, service in the military. So that led me to applying. Um, I applied to one university. I didn't apply to any other schools. And it was Norwich University, which is actually the birthplace of Reserve Officer Training Corps. So kind of the original parent organization of JROTC, really old school, um, nestled in the middle of Vermont, completely opposite of everything I knew, everything, you know know i'm familiar with um so i had a lot of up, cuban
0: food in vermont i'm guessing
1: yeah not not a lot of cuban <laughs> latin food um so it, it was a huge uh, culture shock but one where i kind of knew what to expect and the fundamental reason for doing it is one i've i've being that I wasn't exposed to it so much in South Florida, I love the idea of kind of being nestled in the middle of the mountains and having the opportunity to kind of explore a lifestyle in a mountainous region with snow and cold. So it was different, but it was something I really encouraged, especially in doing so in an effort to uh, commission as an officer in the Air Force, was, which was exactly the intent. So. Um, I went to Norwich University uh, pursuing a four year Air Force ROTC scholarship. The intention was to uh, finish college as a second lieutenant. Um, and you know be able to serve in the air force at some capacity at the time i really wanted to go spec ops so pj um particularly one uh one assignment they had which was a weather parachutist which was a special operations position and these guys um would go in and, and do the initial recon on land and kind of get an idea of what the weather and conditions and terrain looks like so um unfortunately due to a car accident um during my sophomore year i was injured um in my back and, and nothing severe that impacted my quality of life, um, but enough at the time that it made me ineligible to commission and further pursue a contract to to allow me to commission as an officer in the Air Force. And um, when I got to college, it was actually a very difficult. Uh, interesting time in in the United States. My freshman year of college was 2008-2009. The recession had just started. They were slashing the budget up left and right, including ROTC scholarships. Uh, But there was this big focus on um, commissioning officers who that were interested in international relations, particularly with a focus in in China. Um, So, you know, I actually Took Mandarin for a year. I studied poli sci for four years. And this is all important because despite the fact I didn't have the opportunity to commission, um, I kind of took it upon myself to realize the vision of the school I was going to. So Norwich uni- uni- University was founded by a, a gentleman by the name of Captain Alden Partridge. So and 1819 um, Captain Alden Partridge had left West Point where he was a commandant of, of cadets and he left West Point for one fundamental reason as a federal academy West Point is only going to bring in students that plan on committing to obviously um, service to the government there thereafter um, and he wanted to create an institution where he could provide um the opportunity to go that route but also if you want to go to the civilian route and you're dedicated towards becoming this uh citizen soldier is kind of the concept there um you know taking the um, the learnings and, and the disciplines of being in a military environment and kind of applying that to the private sector into the civilian world um so he he had this concept of citizen soldier and you know, it was really tough on me knowing, uh, you know, I had done all this preparation up and up into this point in my life. And I I knew I was never going to be able to serve. I knew I was never going to wear a uniform again, upon graduating from Norwich. And, you know, it was um, it was probably the first really big hiccup in my life in my young adulthood because again, I, like so much of of my planning went into the idea of me commissioning as an officer in in the in the military, particularly the Air Force. But nonetheless, I I really um dedicated myself to my studies even more, being that I was studying political science at one of at the oldest military college in the United States. I obviously had the opportunity to to not only um, share the hallways with some really incredible peers, some of which were already active duty in the Marine Corps, Navy, Army, um, but also some really interesting folks on the civilian side of our school. And our faculty was insanely credible with a lot of different types of experience. So I really, um, it's why we go to college right is to take our academics seriously but you know with military college I had a lot of responsibilities not only my core of cadets responsibilities my ROTC responsibilities and of, of course academia but being that uh, it got to a point where I knew um, military was out of the question really focused on academics and had the opportunity to to help influence policy work with politicians uh, you know write white papers with some really close peers at, at my school and have the opportunity to meet a lot of really interesting folks. And that's where I knew uh, I really wanted to embody the citizen soldier concept that Captain Aldrin Partridge kind of founded when he created Norwich. And, um, you know, I also knew I still wanted to interface with the government in some capacity. At the end of the day, whether I was going to be able to wear a uniform again or not, you know, I accepted that. But I knew I like in my bones that I wanted to do stuff with the government, particularly with the DOD. So Upon graduating in 2014, graduated a little late. If you're tracking my timeline, I started 08, 09, took some time off of school in between, which is another big part of my story because, um, you know, in high school, I was so focused on JROTC. I I didn't go to a normal college, obviously. I went to military college where I'm wearing uniform every day. I'm shaving every day. um, Complete opposite of a party school. Um, You know, it was nice to kind of take time away and, and pursue other things. So one little parallel blip in in my in my timeline here in like my adulthood and starting from the beginning is the time I took spending time off college and kind of pursuing a music career, if you will, as a DJ and a producer. Music's always been a big part of my life. So you can imagine growing up in South Florida, there's a lot of, of music and partying and events. And that was always very interesting to me. So, um, you know, throughout college, I was diving into music production and DJing. And that kind of became very serious at one point, to the point where I took a whole year off of school. And I was kind of just touring around Florida, doing gigs um hosting events and planning events in miami at, at, at clubs and such and that was an incredible opportunity having the time to kind of like get away from wearing a uniform every day and shaving this is once i already knew i wasn't going to really have the opportunity to commission so um I was, I was also able to acquire more skills that were very complementary as well especially in in the case of event planning and and promotions and and, and such but um after graduating college in 2014 um again, I knew I wanted to uh, uh, interface with the government in some capacity. So my goal at that point, especially after writing some really cool white papers that gave me the opportunity to interface with a lot of uh, folks on Capitol Hill and the DOD and, and the Pentagon and such, um, I knew I wanted to work at a think tank. Unfortunately, most of these think tanks are in Washington, D.C., and re- assistant research analysts don't really get paid a lot of money. So uh, I, the transition after college was probably like the next step uh, in my young adulthood where I was getting my butt kicked. I was really struggling to figure out how am I going to do what I want to do? I know I could do it. I know I could do a really good job, but I wasn't getting the opportunities that I really wanted. So um, it was kind of another opportunity for me to just kind of say, hey, you know, you've spent so many years at such a young age kind of doing things that normal kids don't do, like, you know, JROTC in high school, you know, being in charge of logistics of, you know, federal government property when you're 16, 17 years old, going on to a not normal college where you're not doing not normal, you know, uh, college things and such. So um, I took, you know, some time and um, I ended up becoming a Red Cross water safety instructor. So in high school, I swam, being born and raised in South Florida, the beach and the ocean and, and the pool is a way of life here. So um, I took the opportunity, I had the opportunity to essentially work at a swim school part time, you know, nothing crazy like 14 to 20 hours a week in the pool. And I um, got my Red Cross water safety instructor. And really took pride in, in the opportunity of working at a swim school, working with really two um, with two uh, really cool guys, born and raised in Miami Beach, just like myself. Um, they operated this swim school, and they were teaching kids how to swim in a way that I was just absolutely impressed with. And they had a program that was teaching ten-month-old uh, babies like swim, float, swim, survival swimming, and I was blown away. And given my my attraction to service and helping out in the community. Uh, when I graduated high school, I graduated with like 300 and over 350 uh, community service hours because of TC. So I, I was I was sold. I was like, you know, I know there's bigger things in store for me at some point. But again, with the pressure of not seamlessly transitioning into, you know, a good career after college, I was like, this is going to be fulfilled. Filling for me. So I took that opportunity. Um, I worked with kids mostly, uh, especially kids with special needs, uh, mostly autism, which was an absolute blast. And like, Probably one of the highlights of my life, being able to see the impact um, I was having on these kids by working with them in the water, giving them these skills in the in the water. And another really fulfilling uh, target group, and and this was a program I was able to help the the swimming, the owners of the swim school start, which was um, helping young adults who were going into the Navy prepare for their swim qual. Believe it or not, there are a lot of people in South Florida who do not know how to swim. So um, I was oftentimes working with people in their early 20s, you know, full grown adults, how to jump in in the deep end and and acquire that water confidence. And that's in a nutshell, kind of that was my life. And and from high school into college and, and directly after college, that was my life before I found additive manufacturing.
0: So what was going a little bit like, what was your decision So, you had done army or or JROTC? Why not go down the army path? What was specifically that you're into air force. And I mean, you like to swim. So I mean, the Navy's not swimming, but like, what what yeah. about air force stuck out?
1: Yeah, I guess, um, stemming to, you know, my early age attraction to space and aviation mm. and such and, and space shuttles, uh, I was like, you know, being in the Air Force, even though I (laughs) and it's actually a great question, Mike, because uh, I knew I wanted to be on the ground. I didn't want to be a pilot. I didn't I didn't want to be a rigger. I I didn't even want to be a maintenance mechanic or anything like that. I knew I wanted to be in the ground, something combat arms oriented. Um, And it's funny you mentioned that because there was one slight window that gave me the opportunity to, yeah, even though I had to give up on Air Force ROTC, the Army was willing to take me in. And I was briefly in um, an Army program called SMP, and that that didn't work out. It's called the Simultaneous Membership Program. So while I was in uh, uh, Army ROTC, I was also in the National Guard very, very briefly. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know why I I get, I I guess it was just my attraction to the air force at the time. They had a a significantly nicer uniform than the army Uh, (laughs) during my time as well. The army was still wearing the pickle uniform as it's called. Now they're wearing the, the pink and greens or pink and Browns. I believe they call it even though there's no pink, but, um, yeah, I was just always attracted to the air force. It was a young branch, but rich in, in history. And, um, it was just something I felt, uh, wanted to be a part of and everybody knows it's a better lifestyle in the air force as well
0: (laughs) (laughs) um awesome so i mean you kind of left off nicely with with that kind of introduction to kind of your your early days and, and through college um when was the first time you heard about additive manufacturing
1: so the first time i heard about additive manufacturing was actually during my senior year of college um so at this time you know of course i was kind of wrapping up my my political science uh, bachelor's degree. And um, and my exposure to the technology wasn't even on campus either. Um, it was actually more so online. Um, one of the more popular ways of gaining exposure to to 3D printing, which was something revolving around a firearm and a component <laughs> and regulation and such. And um, I was like, you know, that's a little crazy, but I was still taken away by the idea of creating a three-dimensional item from at the time I didn't even realize it came from a file or a 3d model you know my at this point this is my initial exposure and I'm just like wow they're creating 3d you know objects from an idea and I thought that was really cool um it came full circle about I'm gonna say maybe a a year after I got out of college and graduated um one of my mentors from JROTC in high school a uh, really close friend to this day is like my big brother. We're family, um, Alex Bencomo. Um, so he worked at Centavia in its very early years. He was probably one of their first hires when they started to scale up the company and kind of transition from this startup to scale up phase. And, um, you know, he kept telling me, he's like, hey, man, I'm working for this cool company. We're 3D printing. Have you heard of it? I'm like, I have. That's so cool. And he's like, yeah, we're 3D printing metal parts for airplanes and 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 satellites. And I'm like, making 3d print metal. That's so cool. So, you know, really typical dialogue, but he told me very from the first time he brought it up, he's like, you know, I might have a good opportunity to get you in here. And um, at the time being how close Alex and I are um, he knew I was trying to find myself. Right. You know, at the time I was still teaching kids, um, kids and adults how to swim. Um, I was spending, you know, a couple nights DJing bars and clubs, throwing events from time to time. Um, You know, having fun, being very fulfilled, doing what I was doing, but definitely not what I had in mind for life after college. So he had planted the seed very early on, you know, within the first year I graduated college. And that was in 2014. And fast forward to October 9th, 2017, uh, I woke up, laced on steel toe boots, put on a college shirt and went to my first day of work at Centavia. Kind of fast forward a little bit. Uh, so have been have having my first introduction to 3D printing in 2014 and you know my my exposure to it it was so small, right I I saw 3D printing in just like a little article small video kind of highlighting some stuff and super small exposure but it always resonated with me the first time I saw 3D printing and I still look back to this day and and three years later I would have never had an idea but three years later I found myself kind of, you know, on the diving board of my career, like of my professional life, uh, getting ready to start what I didn't know at the time, but what what feels like today, the first day of the rest of my life, essentially, in regards to additive manufacturing. And, you know, since then, I'll be celebrating five years in additive manufacturing this October, which would be exactly five years from the first day I I put steel toe boots on and and went to go work on the shop floor. Awesome.
0: Do you want to tell us a little bit about kind of those first few days as you were kind of interviewing and what was your mindset kind of going into a field that you'd not had a lot of early exposure to in terms of manufacturing and, and kind of seeing all these machines and figuring out kind of your role on the, the shop floor.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So it was a really interesting time in my life because there was definitely um uh, a little layer of, of anxiousness, right. Anticipating me starting this very new and exciting part of my life. And and like you mentioned uh, something I really hadn't been exposed, exposed to, um, so, just one little thing. Uh, even before I worked in additive manufacturing, I, I was exposed to kind of uh, an operations type lifestyle. So, um, I, I did a construction management internship with a pretty reputable construction company uh, for two years when I was in college, and I also spent a lot of time helping my uncle run his maritime business, which he did a lot of um, uh, marine refurbishment and and detailing of boats and and large commercial vessels and such. So, really, my it was it was not only uh, getting exposed to a whole new world of of operations, but also manufacturing. So there was two parts of it where I had a little bit of confidence and not only my existing exposure to working in operations. And of course, everything that came with all the kind of um, military type training and leadership training I acquired from my years of JROTC and ROTC. So I had this toolbox of things I knew I could really depend on that I knew would make me very successful working in and manufacturing. The most important is probably just being timely and very detailed oriented. Um but for sure there is a a large cushion of anxiety inside as I um, went there to interview for the first time saw the shop floor saw you know uh, an SLm 280 an EOS M290, and an eosm290 and a Rcam you know q20 plus and saw what an industrial metal powder bed fusion machine looks like um, got an idea of what these guys are wearing also entered a machine shop for the first time I had never, Um, seen a Hossie and C machine or a hip or a heat treat or uh, tensile strength, you know, mechanical testing machine. So that was all really cool. And uh, very shortly after I did the interview, I got the job and there was probably this month, month and a half before I actually started and laced on those steel toe boots for the first time. And Going into it, granted, even with this uh, toolbox of of skills that I knew would really benefit me working in operations in, in the manufacturing world, especially for like aerospace and, and defense applications, I was scared. <laughs> I was like, man, how am I going to do this? What am I thinking? Uh, like, I'm going to be supporting the work of all these engineers. I don't know anything about any of this. And... One thing that became apparent to me very early on, because there's manufacturing, right? And then there's specifically working in additive manufacturing. And one thing that became very apparent to me after two months, and we'll we'll cover a little bit of what my first days look like, is we're all learning something new every day in additive manufacturing. So after a little while of getting over my own stuff the first couple weeks and months and slowly just growing into my own and retaining all of this knowledge and information, one thing that really gave me a, um, a, a lot of... You know, sense of comfortability is the fact that everyone's kind of figuring it out every day. Um, yeah, I spent my first few weeks figuring out how to maintain traceability on powder lots and sieving, and being um, very cognizant that you know each machine has a dedicated material and and you know filling out AS ninety one hundred documentation and such. And that was all really cool too to to spend my first few months um, gaining exposure and knowledge on what it takes to actually manufacture parts for aircraft potentially in aerospace applications but um the 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 sense of camaraderie at Centavia and this kind of peer learning environment where we're all learning and we're all teaching and um you know this kind of equal playing field definitely helped my my transition into to manufacturing significantly and and I think it goes to show the importance of having a good culture right when not only leveraging an innovative you know technology like AM Um, but also just, you know, working in any type of environment, the company culture is very important and, um, working in this company that had really big, like billion dollar vision, but still had a, a, like when I joined Centavia, I think I was maybe the eighth employee and now they're over 50, close to a hundred, I think. Um, but that added, uh, to to me being a bit more comfortable in the environment as well as we were doing big things but we were a really small team at the time um it was still a significant amount of machines uh they have even more since then but it was uh it was a very interesting transitional period for me professionally uh technically um and honestly it was a very it was fulfilling because i was learning things that even though I had this um, interest in technical, you know, um, mechanical things and and rockets and and automobiles and such, um, I ended up learning a lot of things I didn't think I had the capacity to learn. And um, you know, again, it goes back to that culture and and just having a good environment of peers and leadership and um, having a good culture of just helping and 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 teaching and learning together was very helpful. And and my introduction into manufacturing for sure. That's awesome.
0: And so, when did the uh, the software piece come into it? When did uh, you make that jump into kind of the machine, like operations, kind of making parts into more of the software?
1: For sure. So, um, so when I started at Centavi, I started off as um, as just an additive manufacturing technician. And um, so I was at the ground floor of operations. And obviously, before you can even print the part, a lot goes into that from an engineered and design perspective. And there, after being that Syntavia is vertically integrated, a lot happens after that as well. Um, I was in the middle of all of that as an AM tech, being that it's a small company and and we're vertically integrated. As an AM tech, I was doing a lot more than just setting up the the builds and extracting the builds. I was doing a, a significant amount around the project coordination, kind of acting as an extension of the project engineers and being their eyes and ears on the ground and making sure things are going where they're supposed to. The back shop worked pretty autonomously, but I was still responsible. For or tracking the overall status of those those projects in an effort to to help with the engineers. So I, I say all that because you know when we talk about additive manufacturing, it's very easy to talk about all the benefits of using AM. Where you know it's very common in our industry to talk about all the incredible things the technology can do. But what's oftentimes let out is you know actually how hard it is to 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 use it. You know in any capacity, whether it's for spares or repairs one-offs, prototyping, um, When, you, especially in regards to uh, metal 3D printing for aerospace and defense applications. It's a very hard thing to do. There's a lot of information, a lot of quality assurance, a lot of things you have to document. And it's a lot of effort to constantly have to physically walk on the shop floor to get an update on something. So, you know, during my first year, year and a half, which was purely spent on the shop floor working in additive manufacturing, one thing I knew is I, I understood the benefits. I understood what are the good things about additive when it works and things go the way they're supposed to. But I was also very in touch with um, all the parts of the process that needed to be improved and needed to become more intelligent and even automated when possible. So the reality is, at the end of the day, when you have a three-week build on an M400, that machine doesn't stop when you go home, right? So um, that machine needs to keep running um you have to work with the monitoring tools you have and that's a better case scenario right because an M400 is a top fed machine there's a lot of space to accumulate the material you don't have to swap overflows now SLM uh, um, and SLM 280 is a different story so you know we'd run pretty long builds and and you know working with one two three technicians at the height of me becoming lead technician and having a couple techs to manage um operationally, it would, it's it's very scary to keep these machines running, making sure you're going in at the right time to swap the overflows, sieve the powder, reload the machine and do everything you need to do to, to ensure that, you know, the, the build will successfully end. So um, during my last few months at Centavia, I was transitioned into kind of a different role that was going to build on my expertise on the shop floor and knowing our own processes. And um, they kind of moved me to this IT implementation coordinator role. So in this capacity, I was not only responsible for um, helping the implementation of a new software that would help manage the day-to-day operations, um, so like an ERP, MES-type capability. Um, I was also going to be responsible for kind of being that glue um, that change management officer, if you will, that would be responsible for implementing that software not only um in an IT realm, but more so in the op- implementing it operationally. So a lot of training uh, went into that. and um I was actually really into that. um because again, I was so I was I was very in touch with everything that needed to be improved to improve the quality of life of technicians and engineers because again, you know, you have to make sure that print finishes successfully and if it doesn't, there's a lot of work to be done. And, you know, that's a textbook nightmare, right? When a two week build, you know, fails, or even worse, when something fails the the night before it's supposed to finish. So I became very invested in understanding what exists out there from a capability standpoint, that's gonna, um, you know, help mitigate those risks, help improve the quality of life, of the people who work on the shop floor, because just because those machines print 24 hours a day till they finish doesn't mean we should have people working around the clock. And in some cases that's going to be what it takes. Right. But, you know, second shift, third shift, whatever, um, you know, in a startup environment, it's very grueling to, to really make this happen. So that was kind of the beginning of my transition into the, the digital thread side of, of additive manufacturing. And because I, I really had to experience all the all the bad, nasty parts of, of the business, you know, uh, being on the shop floor on holidays, you know, waking up in the middle of the night to rectify issues that we could have never even calculated our plan for. Um, I, I knew I didn't want a lot of people to have to endure what I endured. And unfortunately, I'm sure there's still people are kind of uh, living the nightmare side of additive manufacturing from time to time when things go wrong. But um, what led me to working on the software side and, and joining the three-year mind team after a few years at Centavia was, you know, with this sentiment in mind, you know, I, I've had to endure the negative parts of the process, but I'm also very in touch and invested in, in the positive sides. And I, and I want the world to, to understand what the benefits of AM are. Um, but I, I also knew software was going to be the part of the missing, is the missing piece of the puzzle, right?
0: And so we were talking a little bit before the the show started about kind of the some of the different projects that you've been on with Three Your Mind. And, and so it's almost come full circle where you're now doing some kind of public sector sector work with Three Your Mind. So maybe tell a little bit about kind of what the software does, and then maybe kind of, kind of give an example with some of the, the cool projects that you've been involved with.
1: Absolutely. I'd be happy to. So I actually just celebrated um three years with three your mind um this past June, I wanna say. And it's been an incredible ride. You know, working on this side of of um of the market is really exciting. It it's also it's it's hard work, right? Because in some cases people are are software naysayers and um you know it they rather poke holes and and why your solution doesn't work instead of really understanding how it does work and where it does work but um essentially it's been an incredible ride and and uh, upon joining the company i was essentially like the first hire for the north american team um so upon joining the team i was working directly under another alex another important alex in my additive manufacturing uh journey and together he and i um launched operations in North America, kicked off some projects with some really exciting Fortune 500 companies. But there was one project that I was really excited to kind of take ownership of, which um, um, I, I would be responsible for upon joining the team, which was a project with NYWIC, uh, which is, stands for Naval Information Warfare Center. Um, it's part of one of the Navy SISCOMs uh, by the name of NAVWAR. And um, this project would be centered about around using the parts of our software that help um big organizations essentially establish their global manufacturing network or what some people folks what some folks refer to as distributed manufacturing so a little bit about three year mine is um We're we're very uniquely positioned in the software space where we provide tools that are not just point software, but rather uh, kind of what you could call a platform approach where we can cover large amounts of your AM workflow and act as kind of a hub for data and act as an overall framework for your AM operations while still connecting to your legacy overarching IT systems, or in this case, your point software, so your CAD software. And essentially what we want to do is kind of consolidate AM operations into one seamless digital thread to address the three main parts of the AM workflow, which is first uh, the part data side of things. So um, part identification, what type of logic are you using to determine um, sh- uh, can you print it and should you print it? There's always a lot of talk around, can you print it? What's the technical feasibility? But Three or mind is really adamant about providing a framework that's going to automate the thinking you use to determine the the business case behind things. Um, does it really make sense to 3D print this part at, at the end of the day, considering, you know, supply chain data, economic costs, technical um, implications and such? And then from there, we provide the other parts that you would need in a digital thread to allow people and teams in your organization to order parts create projects track those parts and projects as well as having tools to um enable the the production planning part of the process so manufacturing execution system where you can manage personnel schedule parts connect to your machines enable quality control so all these things i was very familiar with and that was kind of the big piece of the puzzle I was bringing to the company at the time Um, I was one of the uh, first few individuals that had that type of expertise and what was really exciting about three your mind was not only that I was gonna you know be a part of this team and 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 provide the market a solution that was going to help solve some of the problems I was experiencing, but I was also going to have the opportunity to work directly with the product development team, which is something I never thought in my life I would have had the opportunity to do, which was interface with the soft, the product team of a software development company, share my learnings and understanding and, and, you know, be able to drive the development to some capacity, right? Because it is a big company. There's a lot of stakeholders, um, but keeping all that, you know, Consolidate, wrapping that all up, excuse me. Um, the first big project I worked on that I can talk about uh is is this NYWIC project. And since then we've been working with NyWick for three years, and we've gotten to the point where it started as a small proof of concept where we checked off all the requirements within the the, um, the you know, disclosed period of time that we agreed on to the point where we now kind of have a, a really well-established relationship. We're constantly checking off requirements off of each period of performance. And you know, we're in a position where our tools directly helping, you know, Nywick and Navwar scale a a um a what they call a a digital additive manufacturing ecosystem. So having the opportunity to to interface with you know, a team in the Navy, particularly a very cool team that does some really exciting stuff, was was huge for me. And to your point of kind kind of coming full circle, you know, going back to my days of college and realizing I was never going to be able to put a uniform on again and work directly in the DoD, you know, as a as an airman, um, was tough. But you know, fast forwarding a few years and and starting the first few months at Three Year Mind, kicking off a period of performance with the Naval Information uh, Warfare Center was Absolutely incredible, and since then we've really solidified our presence in the DoD. Um, having the opportunity to not only partner with um, companies like Phillips Corporation Federal Division that have, be- which has been an opportunity for both parties, we um, we add a lot of synergy to our respective uh, skill sets and and what we both do. And together, we're having the opportunity to help the DoD and and very um, niche organizations within the DoD you know, address the complex problems, especially pertaining to part identification, um, what we oftentimes call part screening and selection. So we currently have a, a separate period of performance um, with uh, um, AMOC, Advanced Manufacturing Operation Cell, which is uh, a different Syscom in the, the Department of Navy, it's Marine Corps Systems Command. And um, that's been an extremely fulfilling opportunity as well, because we um, a lot of the the talk when it comes to additive manufacturing and three D printing for the DoDs, um, you know, of course, there's consideration for a lot of different use cases, but the most impactful use cases, the impact additive manufacturing can have on sustainment particularly sustainment of legacy equipment things that i was very familiar with uh during my time at norwich and you know uh having good friends and and peers and mentors that are in the in the in the marine corps army navy air force um so one thing i was really familiar with especially with my passion of airplanes and tanks and and you know things like that I know the DOD likes to get their money's worth out of um, weapons platforms and and weapon systems and and even just a basic ground vehicle. Um so, you know, it's been really exciting working with the Marine Corps and shaping what is going to be the logic that they use for determining readiness factors if you will and scoring apart and saying this is going to be a game changer, right? Like and and you know, being a part of that from a software perspective, Digital Thread and um you know, being a part of the Marine Corps' AM journey because they they have a a very um, refined and thought-out strategy for additive manufacturing. And being a part of that to some capacity has been very fulfilling, especially with regards to an underlying um, goal I've always had for myself, especially after leaving Norwich, which would be to interface with the DOD and, you know, embody this kind of citizen-soldier approach that I was very fond of from my university.
0: Awesome. And so kind of two smaller questions as we kind of get towards the end of the hour today. So first one is um you've had a lot of a varying experience in different industries now in the additive space and also a lot of training from yeah your time in TROTC and um and in college. So what are some of your like what's your top leadership lesson lesson that you'd like to share with um, with the audience with something that you try to strive to or you've seen something in a trade of one of your mentors or peers that you try to embody in terms of your own leadership style
1: I like that question so there's a lot of misconceptions about leadership um, that it's just something you have and it's not taught and that couldn't be more far from the truth um, it, it's it's something you have to crawl to achieving and Um, it's not only something you acquire from learning the textbook stuff about leadership, but also learning from bad leaders. And some of the best lessons I have in leadership are from bad leaders and bad management, um, from, from a culmination of my experience in all different types of operations, whether it's how a military college operates, how a maritime business operates construction or, or an aerospace manufacturing facility, I would say, uh and i want to add one other big misconception about leadership and it's that as a leader you need to put yourself in this chain of command where your people know you are above them but there is one you know kind of um uh metaphor that's you hear in the among military folks a lot and it's lead from the front right um and at the core, I think this is probably one leadership trait that I I I always really remained with, and I really had the opportunity to kind of like flourish with this with this um concept during my time at Centavia, being a lead technician, having you know some some other technicians working under me, and and the work's hard, right? You know, flipping machines and taking huge metal parts out of a machine is tough, and I would say overall the concept of leading from the front and not putting yourself in this kind of seat above your your subordinates is absolutely critical because when you lead from the tr- when you lead from the front and you you are truly invested in the success of your subordinates and you show them you can get your hands dirty and you know your stuff at the end of the day they're going to automatically put you in this kind of um superior seat on their own um so it's really important as leaders that we treat our subordinates with the absolute, you know, respect, um, even in those tough times. Um, and, and one thing for me, which was always my anchor as a leader was just truly being invested in the success of my subordinates. I think in general, that's kind of my recipe for, for success as a leader. And, um, it's, it's really worked for me over the years. And these are things that I've learned from good and bad leaders over the years.
0: Awesome. And so in, we've crossed hundred episodes and one of the things I'm, I'm doing a hundred onwards is, is kind of seeing beyond the, the conversation we have kind of where do some of the folks get their inspiration um, or ideas from. And so I'm asking everybody kind of a, a favorite book they've recently read or, or something they're reading now that uh, they'd like to share with the audience in terms of get bring their own or kind of gaining new knowledge and, and always trying to, to learn more
1: absolutely i'm trying to trying to think the name of the book but um there's one book i forgot the title it's uh, actually alex my my current um uh, boss at, at um at three your mind suggested it as soon as he told me about it i got it but um it's a it's essentially centered around being like a, a master of of no trades right that it's actually very good to be a well-versed kind of Understanding of a lot of different things and and not being so focused and just being uh, an expert in design engineering or, or metallurgy or, or sales or whatever the case may be, and the I'll, I'll get you the name to the book, but it resonated with me because I, I think after having this discussion and we you know you got kind of a glimpse into my you know how I got to this point during um during MMX in, in Ohio recently, but. Um I, I think after having this conversation, you can kind of see how I had exposure to a lot of different stuff and I was able to pick up these little gems along the way, um some that had to do with the previous, but some that were completely in a whole different area. Um, but I recently read this book that really honed in on the importance of having that kind of um that kind of development and picking up, you know the the gist of a lot of things. And of course, if you like one thing, you know, you could really dive into that and a couple of other things, but, um, that's one book I, I read recently, and I hate that I don't have the name <laughs> off the top of my head.
0: Cool, yeah. Well, email it to me. We'll put it on the on the list. We're going to add that to kind of the website and have a running list of of books that people recommend and uh, and kind of keep that going.
1: Sounds good. We'll right. do.
0: Well, I appreciate the time today. Look forward to seeing you. I'm sure at one of the upcoming shows, and uh, we'll uh, we'll be in touch.
1: Absolutely. Thank you for the opportunity, Mike. It was a real pleasure.